You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Hello, my friends, Dr. Lowe here. Thanks for joining me for another show. I hope that you are all staying safe and healthy and you're doing well during this interesting COVID season. I don't know when you'll be listening to this, but if it's still quarantine, I am sending you love and I hope that um, you guys are riding these waves with uh, grace and hopefully a little bit of humor. It's kind of a weird time, right? I have to say I'm getting pretty happy with wearing yoga pants every day. And it's going to be a bit of an adjustment to put on regular clothes again. I love this episode that I'm about to share with you. And if you are listening to this because you think that you may have had exposure to COVID, or if you are wanting to do what you can to help boost your immune system and prevent exposure, this is a really great episode for you. At my practice, Shine Natural Medicine, we actually do COVID antibody testing. So if you're local, we could test that for you if you are wanting to find that. Also, we specialize in helping you to be optimally healthy because that's what it's about, right? It's not just about not being sick. It's about being as healthy as your body is able to be. So this is looking at your body as a whole, looking at your immune system, of course, looking at your gut health, your hormones, your adrenals, your nutrient levels, thyroid, all of that is interconnected. And if you've never had a doctor look at all of those pieces, I think it's a beautiful time to now do this journey. If you would like to learn more, you can visit us over at shinenaturalmedicine.com and we can set up an appointment. Distance is not a problem. So if you're not local to California, that is okay. We could do everything over the phone. Also, in other very exciting news, if you have been wanting to take my online fertility course, Golden Eggs Fertility, there's never been a better time. I'm offering a big fat discount to my students right now until the end of May, which is $300 off your tuition. Golden Eggs Fertility is a course for women, also for couples who are interested in conceiving. And this is great for you if you have already had a child and you want to work on getting your body back into shape to have another baby, or if you've been trying and you've been having a hard time. I just, I educate you about how fertility actually works. These are things that your doctor really doesn't tell you about, even fertility clinics. They never really talk about ways to boost your fertility. They just look at where things currently are and then oftentimes make you feel freaked out. Did you know that there are specific nutrients that help your egg quality? There are also specific toxins that really impair the quality of your eggs and also sperm. I educate you, empower you, so you really feel informed to make the best choices for you and your family. In the course, I have six modules that go over things from how your hormones work. So Hormones 101, I go into nutrition for fertility. I go into lifestyle practices, how to safely and effectively detox. And I also give you my specific protocols that I use for my patients who deal with fertility problems, as well as Hashimoto's, thyroid issues, endometriosis, and PCOS, which oftentimes really get in the way of conceiving. There's also a special section for men, so helping to improve sperm quality and sperm count. And if you do go the option of doing IVF, I give you ways that I help to support 
my patients naturopathically through that to help increase chances and also mitigate any side effects. So to become a student and to get your discount, you head over to goldeneggsfertility.com and at checkout, enter 300 off and you will get your discount off your tuition. I hope you become my student. I'd be honored to work with you. All right, guys, let's jump into the show and talk about COVID and naturopathic medicine. Enjoy. Hey guys, we have Dr. Paul Anderson back on the show. I am a huge fan of this doctor. He's wonderful. He actually made my board exams not miserable to take. <laughs> he made them actually enjoyable because he was the one that taught our class how to prepare for our board exams and made it a comedy show. So that I'm all about comedy with you know, with education, it makes it work so much better. So I'm, a, I'm very grateful for that. So Dr. Paul Anderson is a recognized educator and clinician in integrative and naturopathic medicine with a focus on complex infectious, chronic and oncology. So he has a specialty in, you know, chronic disease and cancer, Lyme disease. He, he really makes complex illness actually kind of simple, which is a very huge skill. In addition to three decades of clinical experience, he was also head of the interventional arm of a US NIH funded human research trial, which is incredible, using IV vitamin C and other therapies in cancer patients. He actually just had his hospital protocol published using IV vitamin C. So we'll jump into that, which is just incredible. He founded Advanced Medical Therapies in Seattle, Washington, a clinic focusing on the care of patients with cancer and chronic disease. He also co-authored the Hay House book, Outside the Box Cancer Therapies with Dr. Mark Stengler, who's actually local in San Diego, as well as a co-author with Jack Canfield in the anthology Success Breakthroughs and the upcoming Lion Crest publishing book, Cancer, Living Your Life While You Have It. He is a frequent CME speaker and writer and has extended his educational outreach through his CE website, Consult Dr. Anderson, and that's .com, right? Consult Dr. Yes. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks for coming back on the show. It's so good to have you. Thanks for making the time. Thank you. It's great great to be with you again, even after six or seven years. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a minute. Yes. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it has. And so we'll put the show um, in the show notes, guys. He came back, uh, came on a few years ago talking about the benefits of IV therapy. So that was a very great show. <laughs> Thanks for coming back on talking about COVID. I know it's kind of an unexpected topic. I mean, who, who knew just like four months ago, this would be such a focus for you with your education right now. I, I would not have guessed this. No, right? um, it's like one day, you know, a faucet turned on and it hasn't stopped, you know, and, and I think it's, it's reasonable. People, you know, they're looking for answers and sometimes we have answers, sometimes we don't. But I think there's so much weird information that floats around now that we have social media and, and everything. Right. People are just, you know, they're just hoping for something that doesn't make them afraid, I think. Yeah. It's like a bad game of telephone, but on <laughs> yeah. a massive worldwide scale, right? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> it's just, it's, it's just getting wild. So I'm looking forward to dispelling some of the myths and the rumors and, um, you know, using some actual our data and, and also what we know from naturopathic medicine. I know in the media, it's really talked about that vitamins don't do anything, you know, anything holistic doesn't do anything. And there's even going as far as blocking 
doctors and health experts from sharing information. So I love how on this podcast, I can share whatever I want and it's not going to be, you know, blocked. So let's talk about it. Um, let's real quick for people who really aren't familiar with just the basics about COVID and, and how, you know, how it relates to coronavirus, because people talk about, you know, say it's coronavirus, but it's actually a collection of viruses. So can you just give us kind of the quick nitty gritty overview? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start because, uh, you know, honestly, when I watch uh, discussions that wind up being very confusing to people on social media, that's the first base is getting past us. So um, the coronavirus family is literally a family of uh, viruses that all have certain characteristics, but they're not all the same. So saying... um, you know, it's sort of like saying dog versus German Shepherd versus right. Beagle or something <laughs> like that, right? So, you know, there's the family. Um, most coronaviruses, thankfully, cause more mild types of illness, like a cold, upper respiratory problems, etc. Most of them don't go into the lungs and mess with, you know, your breathing and your hemoglobin and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, create a lot of trouble. So I think that um, that's the first thing is, and, and the, one of the reasons I think this became important and this, I, we were joking offline. This is, I don't know how many interviews I've done in the last eight weeks, but it's a lot. And now that electronically you can do it, it's people can find me and, you know, get me into an interview. So But one of the things that happened early on, especially, is people said, well, they're saying it's a new virus, but it's not new. Look, here's, you know, here's a document from 2001 that said coronavirus. Well, well, we've known about coronavirus for a long, long time. Coronaviruses, though, like many viruses, just like the common cold virus or the flu, they mutate. And so every now and then we get a strain or a mutation that is not so friendly like other coronavirus might be. And that is what we have now. And just for the sake of uh, speed on the show, we'll call it COVID-19. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the virus itself is technically known as SARS-CoV-2, um, but that's just the, the, the disease is called COVID-19. Um, this has been out of the human population it is mutated and then it comes back. And because of the mutations it gets outside of humans, it has a lot more ways to get in and mess with us and make us sicker. So we saw this with, with uh, the original SARS, same thing, same kind of thing. We saw this with uh, MERS, uh, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Virus, which is a close relative. But <clears throat> others that people may have heard of more or even had would be like what we called the swine flu. So swine flu was real bad in the late, middle, late 70s. Um, and it was named that because it went out and hung out in pigs. And then when it came back to humans, we, we didn't have any immunity. Well, then it came around again in about 2009, I think. And those who had it in the 70s actually often got it in 2009 because it had mutated over all those, I don't know what, 30, 40 years in between there. So that's what viruses do. This is a natural thing. It's their way of being, uh, you know, on top of their game. So the thing, uh, the virus that causes COVID is unique in that that family is a RNA virus. So, we, you know, we've all heard of DNA and that's the 
two strands that are in a helix and all that, that uh, code for making us and every other thing. Um, RNA is normally used as a messenger, sort, sort of like a photocopy of half of the DNA. And so if you think about it, if you're a, a virus, it's not really a living, it's more of a mechanical thing. It has this piece of RNA that makes it, it, it reproduces itself. So it goes to your cells, in this case, lung cells mostly, and it gets taken up by the lung cell. And then that little piece of RNA with a photocopy goes to your nuclear material in your cell, where your DNA is, makes photocopies not of you, but of itself. And so then it's your lung tissues and others, they spew out this virus. That's how you get the virus. If it was, a, a, we'll call it a more lower grade coronavirus, one of the other cousins, mostly that's done up in your sinuses uh, and it kind of sticks to your sinuses and throat area. In the case of this, it's mostly in your lungs, which is never good because then breathing gets interrupted and stuff. Um, and its replication is real fast. The other really interesting thing, and I, I want people, you know, I'm trying to be not insensitive, certainly, uh, when I say interesting about a virus that can kill you, just from a scientific point of view, what makes a virus, well, anything, but we'll talk about viruses today, what makes a virus much more likely to spread around the world and be a pandemic is it, uh, its ability to sneak in into you and into everybody. One of the things that we see with COVID-19 is, as opposed to like SARS or MERS, where you had a shorter time till you were really sick and you knew it, with COVID-19, you have a fairly long lead time where you can be completely feeling well and spreading it to everybody else and not know it. So yeah. a virus that makes you sick like today when you get it is less likely to spread because you're going to be really sick. A virus like this that doesn't make you sick but hangs out and lets you sort of brew it up and transmit it to everyone you know, that's a perfect storm because, uh, you know, in modern world, I could be in one country and uh, pick it up, feel fine, fly home to my country, spread it with everyone, and then get sick. And that, that's actually kind of what's happened. So so that's the, believe it or not, that's the short story of coronavirus versus COVID-19. It's, it's mutated. Uh, you know, a family member. Mm -hmm. And, and that's partly why it's such a problem. Yeah. And I, a lot of people are wondering, can, if you do have it and now you have the antibodies, can you get it twice? Yeah. You know, that's a really big question. And I'm, I keep reading the answers <laughs> that smart people write about that from <laughs> universities and places. And here, here's, uh, you're, you'll hear this probably in more than one instance. Whenever people that are moderately to greatly respected in a sub-science area like virology have differing opinions about something. What it means is, is that they're both looking at the same problem from two different directions and there might be two coexisting answers. Now, one explanation is, well, they, people didn't really get it again. It's, they have other explanations for that or the data was skewed or whatever. Other explanations are, some people develop really good immunity. Some people don't develop really good immunity. So if you mm -hmm. didn't develop immunity, you might get it again. Both are plausible, and it's possible that there could be one of each going on. Um, 
and then there's some people who say, well, some of the reports of, you know, reinfection were actually not reinfected. You know, there, there's that too. Something that I'll just throw out there because I, I do, <laughs> you'll realize I do not hold any ultimate truth here. Um, I, <laughs> but I am a keen observer of this. Um, I think what we're seeing is there's going to be some sort of immunity-based marker that says you you people who had a really good immune response probably couldn't get reinfected. You people that had a very lackluster immune response might be able to be reinfected. Uh, or, and here's the real wild card, which is, you know, it's scientifically interesting but scary. This particular COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 virus has already three big families of genetic differences. And so you could technically have, you know, family number three and be exposed to family number one and maybe get a, get the disease in a different way. Hmm. So there, there's a lot of, and right now, you know, a uh, big thing to remember when you make predictions about something at the beginning of a pandemic, it's like betting on a football game after the first two minutes. You you don't right. really know how the rest of the football game is going to go. Right. So these are all potential, uh, uh, you know, really potential explanations. Um, and the other thing too that you know, if people are really into it and they read it and they, it's confusing, it's like, well, well, but the tests aren't good or the tests are too sensitive or they're not sensitive enough, and so the numbers are weird or you know maybe reinfection just means you never got over it the first time. All of that's possible. Right. We're still figuring it out. So what about the numbers that are presented in the media of the death risk that they're putting out there? We hear a lot of stories and even from doctors in hospitals saying if a patient has a, you know, a comorbidity, right, if they have a different condition that they die from, but maybe they acquire COVID, then we call it a COVID death. Or even if we didn't even test, but they had symptoms that look like COVID, we're going to call it COVID. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how are the actual numbers looking versus what's being presented and just that whole, that whole issue? Yeah, I, I think that is, that's a super important thing. And of course, this is another one where, you know, there's something about uh, social media and the way it works where it used to be just the news confused us. And now we have the news plus we have every person, you know, in, in the world uh, with a social media account confusing us right. um, <laughs> and very strong opinions, you know? Um, so here's the thing. And I actually, I saw um, really early on, like when, when all the um, interviews were first kind of blowing up uh, around this uh, from the CDC and stuff. So, you know, this all came on very, very quickly. Uh, I, I'm in Seattle. Seattle's where we've, had the first hospitalized case. Nobody knows where the first cases were, but we had the first identified hospital case here. So we've been on the front end of it, sadly. But I remember watching an interview with Dr. Fauci and a uh, internal medicine doctor who was just, the guy has a YouTube channel. He's a doctor who sees, you know, primary care people. And he has a YouTube channel, though, as everyone does now. And he, you know, he was interviewing Dr. Fauci. Somehow he got Dr. Fauci on there. He has a big following. And he said, look, he says, you know, I, I, I do mostly primary care. How are we supposed to categorize people if we have a hospitalization or, unfortunately, a, a death? 
and maybe, and I, I don't know if people recall, but a few weeks ago, even the, the amount of testing that was available is very low. Right. And, you know, so he says, how do I do that? And Dr. Fauci's answer was, well, you know, if, if they become ill and they have another pneumonia, you can diagnose, then diagnose whatever the other pneumonia was. And in the beginning, that's what we were supposed to do is check all the other respiratory diseases, do it sort of by exclusion. Mm-hmm. But then what Dr. Fauci said was, if they develop uh, ARDS, respiratory distress, and that hospitalizes them or kills them, then it should be called a COVID-related death. Well, Mm. there's, yeah, if you don't have testing and you've ruled everything else out, that's probably not a bad way to go. The problem is that kind of became the way it's been done for the most part, really. Right. Um, And, you know, I even had, because I was doing some initial, like, urgent put together a course for doctors about this, you know, and so I was looking at all the CDC experts, everybody, and some of the pulmonologists, the specialists in lung things, you know, were saying, I might be seeing someone in the emergency room who I think has COVID, but I can't get a test for it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they'd present a case. They'd say, this is one I actually got a test done and it was positive, but all my other ones, I have no testing. So it becomes really difficult to say, oh, we have X number of cases. Because here's the thing. Number one, you only know the number you've actually tested. And number two, testing for an emerging virus is not an exact science. Like you you can get pretty close. But for example, with the nose sump swab, I've I've had that lovely thing. uh, Many people have. That's a PCR. (laughs) Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, the whole... (laughs) Yeah, I I, de- I did a whole bunch one day, and not a single person was a fan uh, of that. Um, and and so it's and for those who don't know, you can look it up on the internet. It's it's not terribly uncomfortable, um, but it's it's yucky. So you, you do that, and it, what they're looking for is is remnants of the nuclear, the DNA material there, the RNA. And the problem is that you can actually pick up uh, people where the virus has died, but the you know, the RNA particles are still there. So a a PCR positive means it was there, you know, probably, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're active or not right now. So that becomes the other discussion is, all right, well, if we test everybody and we have a reasonably good test, we have good numbers then. Well, we weren't testing everybody and we still aren't. And we still don't know if the tests are really that good. So, I don't know. I, I I think you have to be really careful um, because I don't know if people have noticed this, but if you watch based on your news feeds and how they're set up and, and who you've liked or not liked or whatever, you will see two totally different opinions about testing and sensitivity of testing and what it means by really smart people. And it's like nobody can agree, but they're driven down kind of two party lines and I don't really mean political parties, but sort of scientific party lines. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so, again, I think it's we're trying to make, you know, uh, guesses really early in a game that's not done playing yet. And we're making it with kind of crude tools. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I think we don't know. I think people 
you know, the numbers might be inflated, you know, as far as hospitalizations or deaths, because we were doing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of rule out stuff. We didn't have a positive test, but they didn't, we know they didn't have pneumonia, for example. So they, they got called COVID. Um, but on the other hand, you know, what about the other 98% of the people in the town that didn't have any testing, you know, who, who knows you know, what, <laughs> what they had going on? So you can say anything on this show. I'm just prefacing with this, but you can obviously choose to share what you want or not. But right. how much of this do you feel like is political and money related? <laughs> well, and again, this is this is completely just my this is my opinion. This is not based on me knowing anything in particular, but just watching it and, and having watched other, you know, nasty things unfold like, you know, H1N1 and H5N1 and some of those things. Uh, this is what I think. Uh, I completely believe because I have seen people who have either become very ill or died from COVID-19. So I know it's real. Right. Uh, I, I know it can be an extremely horrible disease process for people. So nothing about say discounts that my sense is though, based on the way that that North American medicine has handled every other problem similar to this, I, it, it appears to me that the, um, I, you know, the machinery that you know runs things is is taking advantage of the presence of a pandemic to then do other things and I have no idea what those other things are but like we have never uh, in our lifetimes been sheltered in place for a virus like this yeah, right or or really any other thing that I can remember um, I mean aside, aside from snowstorms when I was a kid that's the last time I remember sheltering in place <laughs> that was a snowstorm so I I, th I really think you know this is a unique thing and if you just look at that and ask yourself okay well you know I get it we don't want people getting this and dying great makes total sense why didn't we do this with other things that were you know right. bad too and it, and it's it's yeah maybe this is a bit worse if you get it and you especially if you know you have the wrong comorbidities other diseases it, it can take you out so yeah it's a bad deal but this just seems the response seems okay it's good on the side of public health but what else is going on when we're we got everyone locked down and exactly you know, we we got people not working and or people working remotely or something in between and we got you know households where one out of the three people who all used to work now have a job. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on. And yeah. I, I, again, we're, we're in the first quarter of a big game and I have no idea what it means, but it just seems interesting. And what do you think about this being as a means to instill a lot of fear to direct people to doing vaccine, you know, the vaccine, once it comes out, just that whole I mean, we could talk a whole show about just this topic of vaccines and I do yeah. want to get to what we can do to prevent and also address this with yeah. medicine. So we'll keep it brief if we can, but let's talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah. I, well, well, here's the thing, you know, I guess to a degree and you can, you know, you can kind of take this in a number of directions, but uh, kind of like I was just saying where it just seems like, I get the public health implications of what we're doing to the society right now. So my logical brain understands that, but it seems like there's more to it than that. Yeah. Agree. 
the other thing that this is driving is the idea that a vaccine will save us from all this trauma that we're under right now with being stuck at home and not working or whatever's going on. So it's sort of like this cause and effect thing that's being drawn, uh, you know, logically to say, well, you know, we can't really, you know, we can't undo all this, you know, economic and social change we've made till we have something that helps us. A vaccine helps us ergo vaccine equals freedom. And, and, that's actually not how it works. And, 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 and the people from the CDC will even tell you that, you know, but, but that's the message that goes out. So that, that does concern me because it, if you understand the limitations of what they're saying, great. But as I've talked to a lot of friends who are not in the medical world, you know, their whole thing is, well, you know, we can't wait till the vaccine comes out because then life will just totally go back to normal. So it's going to be great. Well, I don't know, you know, um, you know, in a few hours, I'm doing an update for physicians on uh, immunology, which is the science of all this stuff. But also, we're going to talk about the kind of vaccine that's being proposed for this. And it's it's a kind of vaccine that largely is very untested exactly. in, in humans. Uh, it's a technology that's really, quote unquote, cool. And if we can pull it off uh, the technology, it you know, it might be some groundbreaking stuff. But we've never really done this with this type of vaccine before. Now, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the RNA virus family, which the COVID, coronas, COVID-19 is in, and other not good things like Ebola and, you know, all sorts of bad stuff is in. There are some things that in, in the RNA virus world that we've, we've got old-fashioned vaccines that seem to work, you know, like polio or something. But what they're talking about now is using a uh, uh, a messenger RNA uh, remnant that then they would inject into you. And that would essentially go, and yeah, that whole mechanics I was saying about how, you know, RNA from the virus goes in your cell, hijacks your cell, mm-hmm. you, does the photocopy thing of itself instead of you, and then gives out more virus. And a messenger RNA vaccine would essentially go in and, turn off the ability for it to copy itself. Mm. That's really super simplified, but that's, that's the idea. And it's, uh, you know, it's very exciting. It's a, it's an interesting technology might be better than some of the old fashioned type vaccines as far as that goes. Um, and it, you know, it looks good on paper looking at, uh, data that just came out and by data, what I mean is it's just reports from the people working on it, but it just came out like three days ago. They're doing phase one trials. Interestingly, phase one trials with people, not with animals. Mm-hmm. And wow. um, they're seeing that it is getting immune response, et cetera. Okay, so that's the upside. The downside is we don't know because we're injecting something that's, so it's an anti viral replication, you know, messenger RNA. Okay, that's cool. When that stays in my body, is it only concerned with that one virus or does it just go hop around and get itself into my other cells? And what does that mean? You know, right. and, and those are all answering your question. So I think, I think, you know, like when my friends very reasonably so say, well, it sounds like we need a, you know, we need a vaccine to uh, go back to life as normal. I'll say, well, 
yes, in a perfect world, if we had an agent that would just not allow me to get Corona or COVID-19, that would be the way back to normal. Okay, I totally get that, right? Yeah. What if this particular thing we're betting the farm on does not do that? Well, then we have other problems. Yeah, So, exactly. um, you know, and I, I think if you don't mind a, a segue to maybe a happier discussion, um, the thing I look at too and what I try and talk to people about is, yes, uh, you've got, you know, so if you're older, if you have heart disease, if you have diabetes, whatever, you're, you know, you're more likely to be damaged heavily by this virus. What that also says on the flip side of that coin is, the healthier we can make you and get you, if you get the virus, the less likelihood it is going to harm you or kill you. Right. And there's a lot of stuff in our type of medicine that really that's its whole job is to make you resistant. And resistant doesn't mean you don't get a virus. It means you live through the virus and you develop what we call native immunity. So there's a lot of stuff, you know, pending some miraculous cure, which is not going to happen. There's a lot of stuff we do, I think, that can be empowering to people they can work on on their own. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's such a um, similar type of mindset to using a drug to fight a disease, whereas, and, and there's side effects with that, right? But we can look at it, okay, so how can we prevent a disease from happening? You know, something like diabetes or heart disease. And also, how can we, even if you do have that condition, how can we still continue to add to your health versus just targeting that that particular disease or even like a you know like a strep throat infection or something it's like okay yeah we can use a medication for that but it's it doesn't address the underlying terrain or the the body working as a whole and that's what we do so well you know as naturopathic doctors so so I, I love that. And also, too, just shifting the mindset. You have a much greater chance of recovering from this virus. You know, I do a lot with fertility, and you know, I try to educate my patients. You have a much greater chance of getting pregnant and staying pregnant than not. So let's focus on the right. fact your body knows what to do, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, and, and that is, I think that's the big thing. And it's, we, we've seen this with many, many other infectious problems you know, you, you can do everything quote unquote right. And you can take all your vitamins, do all this stuff. Some people still are going to get really sick. And, and that's why we have the other, you know, world of medicine for them. But if we could keep, you know, the majority of people not needing all the other medical interventions and keep them well, you got a lot more people not only living through the virus, but developing their own native immunity. And then you do develop what they call herd immunity because, we've kind of fought it off, so to speak. And we, you know, we've done things to support them through that. I think that's, you know, that's the most hopeful message I can see. I mean, we're, and when I say we, I mean, you know, most Westerners are socialized to believe the answer has to be a vaccine or it has to be a drug or something, but like, like getting your body to fight with things appropriately is another answer that is time tested for eons. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah I, you know, I think that is the, that's a critical thing. And yes, if, you know, if you're like my, my dad is almost 93, he's super healthy and he's that's great, awesome. lives alone, all that stuff. But I mean, you know, I'm having him be real careful and I'm having him take a lot of preventive nutrients and all this stuff. And, and yeah. he's very, very healthy, but I mean, like he's probably not the, and, and he's pretty good otherwise in health, but 
like 93 is not a great demographic to be getting a new virus. You know? Right. Yeah, true. <laughs> so cool. it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the most exciting part of the show, best for last. So let's talk about prevention and also, <laughs> you know, treatment with naturopathic medicine. And, and we, we say treatment very carefully because anyone listening, we're not treating you. We're not your doctor. We're not, you know, don't take everything we're saying as gospel, but learn from it. And, um, you know, we'll just kind of talk about general things that can be supportive. So let's talk about prevention here. So let's get to the nitty gritty about masks. So is how, how, how can people use masks appropriately? And is it like the end all be all as much as it's talked about, like in the media? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we, wow, we're hitting them all, aren't we? Yeah. So uh, here's, here's uh, just because I already set this up. Um, I think uh, one of the places, if you read even, you know, well-informed, scientifically-based things that are written, you you have a couple of very differing opinions on masks, okay? And and I think that, again, what that means is there's there's texture. It's not a yes or no answer, but, but I'll just try and shorten it up. I think if you, uh, you know, if you're working in a healthcare facility and you're around people who are highly contagious, you... Yeah, until we prove otherwise, you need to be using one of the high filtration masks, right? Because you're like, you're a target and you're also, you can't leave your work and, you know, whatever. That's one thing. If you are, you know, like, um, let's say you have a sneeze or a cough for some reason that's not coronavirus, right? You got allergies, okay? <clears throat> but you have to go to the grocery store and get something so you don't, you know, have no food it makes some sense that you wear a mask to protect other people from your sneeze and cough, just in case you're a, you know, an asymptomatic carrier. So, and there are a lot of asymptomatic carriers now that they're doing some testing. They're seeing that. So it makes sense. You're wearing the mask not to protect you in that case. It's from your, you know, your sneeze or cough droplets. It keeps them from going very far. Um, it's the same reason when you do surgery, you wear a mask. It's not to protect you from the patient. It's to protect the patient from your breath and, you know, all the stuff that we breathe out and we don't want going in the patient's, you know, open abdominal (laughs) cavity. Um, so it's, it, it doesn't, it's not magic. I mean, it just lowers the amount that you're going to transmit. Now, if you go, okay, you've bought your food, you're back in your car and you're sitting in your car. If no one's been in your car, there's no off. reason for you to wear a mask in your car because it's your car. Oh my gosh, air. it drives me nuts. You know, I see people it, running on their bike. I'm like, take the mask off. You're not yeah, meant to breathe like, in CO2. You're not a tree. Yeah, unless unless you're, you know, you know that there's going to be people coming right next to you and doing something or right. jump in your car, you know, and <laughs> cough on you. Like that doesn't help you. But yeah, in, you know, in, in the store where, you know, grandma might be there buying her stuff and you're sneezing because you got allergies, just, just protect grandma by wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, you know, healthcare, they need the right kind of mask and all blah, 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 all that stuff. And, and then there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot in the middle, like with outpatient centers where, you know, they'll screen you and everyone wears a mask mostly again, just to just don't be on the safe side, but like wearing a mask all, all day, all the time. I mean, unless you live with a sick person or something, even, even the people from the NIH and the CDC are mostly now saying that that doesn't make any sense because the, if you're not a healthcare provider wearing a healthcare mask, 
the mask is to pr protect others. If you're at home with the people you breathe on all the time anyway, if no one's sick, you don't need it. Right. right, right. So it's more of a, it's, it's just think about when it's appropriate. Um, you know, it's like I, uh, maybe I should, but I don't wear a bicycle helmet around, you know, unless I'm <laughs> on a bicycle. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if, if I ran into the wall a lot, it might be good, but it's sort of like that. It's like, if you're on your bike, wear your helmet, not on your bike, you can probably do without the helmet. Yeah. Totally. So that's, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of like that. Yeah. Use your, use your thinking <laughs> cap. Yeah. So, okay. Um, what are you and your family doing to stay healthy right now? Uh, it's, it's actually, it's interesting that one of the very first interviews I had just cause the way things got set up of the, what seems like 11 million interviews. Um, <laughs> I, I did the Gabby Reese podcast cause oh, we sweet. had known each other from before and, uh, she, and, and you know, we're, we're, as you said, we're not anyone's doctor. Nobody listening should take medical advice. It's just, this is just what we do. And so I, that's what I said to them when they were interviewed. I said, well, I, I can tell you what my family's doing. I can't tell anyone else what to do. And it hasn't changed really, which is kind of nice. Um, the first thing, uh, two things that are quite inexpensive and help on so many levels that, you know, it's sort of like these, everyone should, you know, if, if I was the king of whatever, you know, everyone could get these. One is vitamin C. Uh, it's still pretty inexpensive. Now there was a time when you could not find vitamin C anywhere that's getting resolved, but vitamin C does a ton of things. And, and what I'll just say is, um, it's working with our body every day on our nonspecific defenses just to keep us well. And we burn a lot of it up that way. Once you get something in your lungs, or your upper respiratory system, you use more of it. And then there's another place related to inflammation. It works. The big problem is people don't make their own vitamin C like other animals do. And so when an animal gets sick, they make more vitamin C. We can't do that. So during cold and flu season or during a pandemic, you can take vitamin C, you split it up during the day and take multiple doses so you don't get loose stools. And basically what we always tell people is just, you know, take a little bit more with each meal. And if you get loose stools, back off a little bit. What people find those, <clears throat> if they're exposed to a lot of... Um, you know, sick people or they're sick themselves, they'll, they'll absorb a lot. Like they won't get loose stools from high doses. When you start to get loose stools with high doses, it means your body doesn't need it anymore. Um, a companion water soluble uh, nutrient, which is again, works on a bunch of levels, which is cool. And it's not terribly expensive is N-acetylcysteine or NAC. Um, and like if I was going to prioritize two things that, that especially for cost versus the benefit, vitamin C and NAC, NAC does a bunch of stuff. One of the things though that does is super important with this type of virus that enters in our lungs is it keeps the secretions in your lungs that are, have immune proteins that keep the bugs from getting in. It keeps them flowing correctly. So cysteine's involved in that process. And as a matter of fact, in a hospital, if you are on a ventilator and the secretions get too thick, they will use N-acetylcysteine to thin it out. It's that good. So you can take it orally. Uh, we just have people take it like right along with their food, and that's what we do. So those two things are a lot of value. The other thing NAC does is works with vitamin C in the uh, glutathione vitamin C cycle to keep your inflammation normal. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, now we know uh, unchecked inflammation is not, it's the worst thing you can have with a 
COVID-19 infection. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, those are important. We do take, we take zinc, but we take it in a trace, a multi-trace mineral because there's lots of minerals that are helpful. Selenium, for example, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, others. And so we take a multi-trace mineral. Zinc became famous because it, uh, if it gets in your cells, it can block, you know, replication of RNA. Uh, but it does a ton of uh, it's like it works with vitamin C a lot in your immune system. So we just do a multi-mineral, multi-mineral, and then you know from there, then everything kind of ratchets up depending on what you're doing. Vitamin A is one of the things that's uh, like traditionally was always used for respiratory and other uh, what they call epithelial cell type uh, things, and vitamin A does a bunch of things with respiratory immunity, um, and Again, I always tell people when you get to the fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A, D, and K, which are important, you should be working with either a naturopathic doctor or somebody who's educated in those things so they they can help you with dosing and things. But we take a vitamin A, D, and uh, K all together uh, for, for immune purposes. Um, and then everything else is based on uh, a couple things. One is... Uh, which we haven't because of sheltering in place. But if we're exposed, uh, say back when, you know, it, it seems like it was years ago, but it was weeks ago when I, when I was still going to the clinic and testing people and doing it, I said, you know, so I'm more exposed. I'm taking more stuff then. Uh, if you are working at a, you know, at a critical job, like you're a, a checker at a, uh, a store where, you know, it's mostly grocery stores and stuff, but you're exposed to a lot of people. You just have more need for things. You might need some more specific stuff. Um, and then if you start getting symptoms, that's when I use, you know, we would add a lot of botanical herbal medicines. Um, so, but you want to, you also, you know, it's easy to forget the basics because they sound like they're not real you know, they're not real sexy and they're not real right. exciting, but like the basics are what keep you healthy. So yeah, exactly. uh, that's, that's why I like people focus on that. Love it. Yeah. Don't underestimate the power of the basics. I don't <laughs> yeah. care how sick someone is when they come to see me. I always start with the basics and it's incredible how oftentimes that shifts things so, so much. Way, yeah. Yeah. So last question is, you know, if you get COVID, what are some things you can do? And again, we're not treating any of you, but let's say, God forbid, your dad got it. I mean, what would you, what would you be thinking for him? I mean, I know you just published or, you know, your hospital protocol was just published. So let's just touch on that real quick. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, here's the thing that, it, it, so this whole thing with hospital uh, protocol, et cetera, what that really came from was at the very beginning when most of the cases that we knew a lot about were in China. Um, I was asked by uh, an international group that does a lot of nutrient and natural therapies, mostly medical doctors, but they're really interested in this stuff. I was asked to do an update specifically on vitamin C and COVID-19. Now, the, the issue with that was we had one or two cases here in Seattle and not a lot of background in the U S and so I could certainly talk about other viruses and things, but I got a hold of the, uh, there's something called a Shanghai expert panel for, uh, for COVID and, um, they're keeping extreme long detailed notes about everything they did, what works, what doesn't work, et cetera. And because they had hundreds and hundreds of patients way ahead of us in hospitals, 
I got their info uh, and uh, had it translated because it was in Mandarin and I don't read Mandarin. So I got it translated to English, read through all of it. And one of the things which got the attention of people here, so it was in the news, was they were using intravenous and oral vitamin C. And I thought, well, and, and this is why the, the people asked me to do that update for physicians. So I put together, based on what they were seeing in real time with real COVID patients in the hospital who are living and dying, and then all the other science that we know about vitamin C. You had mentioned I'd done some uh, you know, human research with vitamin C and other stuff in cancer. So it's, I'm, I'm aware of it uh, quite a bit as an agent. Um, so I put all that together, including mostly their information and their success and failure. And there was, I think, two things for people to hear. One is it became very clear to them very quickly that they needed to keep people out of the hospital because mm -hmm. hospitals were full. And that you right. know you you only have so much room in a hospital, and if people are dying, you need them in you know the hospital to be either saved or not. So one of the things they they had two strategies to keep people out of the hospital outside of you know isolation. One was oral vitamin C, and the other was traditional Chinese medicine. And they're they're very upfront with this. Well, of course it's China, so they have traditional Chinese medicine. And what they came right out and said is, if people use these, it appears to us, now do they have hard data and they've counted it? No. But it appears to us if they're using traditional Chinese medicine and vitamin C, they're, they're not going to the hospital. They're weathering it at home. That's critical because let's say you're in North America or somewhere, you may have a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, but you can also have, say, a naturopathic doctor. And this is what I found subsequent to knowing this about China. If you talk to people in places where they practice Ayurveda, or my, I have uh, medical colleagues in Korea, they have something called traditional Korean medicine. Any traditional medicine that uses a constitutional or whole body approach, it doesn't matter how you do it or what it's called, it appears to be helpful in preventing you going in. But the other thing that they said in China was when people leave the hospital, they tell them they have to see a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner and keep taking their oral vitamin C because they know that'll help them heal up. So both sides of the hospital equation, the stuff we do and vitamin C and all this stuff, less likelihood probably you're going to go in and more likelihood if you do go in that you're going to come out and heal up better than not. So that's one huge take home. But the other one that's gotten um, mostly good press, and as you said, it was just published in the Journal of uh, Orthomolecular Medicine days ago. Like, so this is pretty fresh. After I did this presentation about, well, what are they doing in the hospital in China and why would it work? What they're doing in the hospital in China was three different versions of a vitamin CIV that lasts 24-7. And people say, well, why would you do that? Well, A, they're in the hospital. They can't go anywhere. But B, you're constantly putting in and replacing the vitamin C that's getting burned up by these people in respiratory distress and low oxygen saturation and inflammation. And what this uh, Dr. Mao, who's one of, I don't know, 50 or 100 experts on the expert panel, but he's the guy that was doing the vitamin C research because he did vitamin C research prior, in the three, I believe it was three hospitals pooled, pooling their data, they had about 360 COVID patients in the hospital. They had 50 they were giving vitamin C to, 
none of the 50 died, number one. And number two, they were in the hospital a shorter amount of time, three plus days, which every day in North American hospital, you're not in the ICU is tens of thousands of dollars. And also you live more likely. So in the other 300 and some, and people have asked me this, we don't know firm numbers, but this is a pretty remarkable, uh, you know, set of data in the other 350 some uh, or 300 and some people that didn't get vitamin C there, the death rates and the hospitalization times were about the same as what we see here in the U S. So adding the IV vitamin C while you're in the hospital made a huge difference. And I guess the point of that, which got us to getting it published in the journal of orthomolecular medicine was before it got published the day after this uh, international thing I did, there were uh, a couple of very big, well-known hospitals that got a hold of me and said, we, we would maybe try this, but we have no idea what to do with vitamin C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, a couple of uh, state departments of health got a hold of me and said, uh, you know, you have to keep this secret, but we have emergency powers, meaning they can implement whatever. Uh, and we don't know if we're going to implement it, but can you send us information? So I wrote wow. up a, a literal hospital protocol and what you're seeing is um and and i don't really care how it gets in the system but while this is all going on there were four hospitals initially in new york state that had so many people dying they just said the heck with it we're we're going to do IV vitamin c no matter what uh we don't care who tells us no or yes because we don't have other answers so that started there there's midwestern hospitals there's a few on the west coast and they just started it kind of ad hoc doing it. The next week, the um, there's a weekly update for emergency medicine doctors actually had a protocol of how to start it in the ER, uh, IVC for people with uh, respiratory problems. Uh, and it's kind of picked up more of a grassroots thing. I have not seen that any government agencies have adopted it, but it's sort of like a, it's sort of going in the back door through, you know, doctor groups and things, which is great. I'm hoping now that it got published, you know, it's got a little more legit uh, nature to it than, you know, just uh, uh, just Paul wrote this. <laughs> it's a little more legit when they publish it. Uh, I'm hoping it gets, you know, some traction and maybe we can help some people That's either wonderful. now or in the future. Yeah. So like, I guess last question and we got to wrap it up. Let's say someone goes into the hospital and they want to get IV vitamin C. Is that an option right now where they could, or is it still just kind of some, hospitals that are doing it like on the down low yeah it's um it's random as to what hospital either does it or doesn't do it Mm -hmm. because it because it got published to emergency physicians in their weekly update which is a really cool document and it was of course you know covid update of the week with here's 10 things to consider it wasn't just all about vitamin c but that's helped a bit because they like that that legitimizes it to the ER doctors who are mm-hmm. the, kind of the gatekeepers. So it's growing. But what I would say is if, if it was um, anybody I knew, I would just tell them on the front end to say, you know, have you seen this, you know, in your emergency medicine or your pulmonology uh, updates that have come out and can I get it? Right. And I have, um, providing I have time and all of that, but I have told everybody who's contacted me 
if they have any need for implementation questions, how to do it in the hospital, I'm more than happy to tell them how to do it. It's awesome. it's it's in the paper, but right. you know, hospitals don't just add things uh, on. You know, like it's that's a tough sell. They they really right. have a lot of machinery to add it. So exactly. Yeah. Okay, amazing. Well, I know that we're both busy people. We got to run, but thank you for making the time to be on the show. Thank you for doing 9,000 interviews in the last eight weeks. Really appreciate it. Drink some aloe water, rest your vocal yeah, I, cords. <laughs> that's my um, next move. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But thank you again and um, stay well. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.